Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. In 1977, Gene McGuire, a 17-year-old star athlete, went into a bar with his 24-year-old cousin, Bobby. He had no idea Bobby was about to rob the place. Bobby ended up stabbing the bartender to death. Gene was found guilty of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. After serving 35 years, he was released. But Gene isn't angry with his cousin or the court system. He forgave them years ago. In his book, Unshackled, he shares what helped him become free, even while he was still behind bars. Please welcome to the stage, Gene McGuire. Hey, bro. Good morning. Well, good morning to you in St. Charles and those of you who are gathered in DeKalb, uh, Blackberry Creek, Aurora, uh, Streamwood Bartlett, and those of you watching online right now, maybe at home or in some hotel room or you're in the military and you're watching someplace uh, far, far away. We're, we're just glad to have you join us. Gene, you've got a very unique story to tell. And uh, the chances are pretty good that there's nobody else in our audience across our campuses or online who's spent 35 years in prison. But before we get to the uniqueness of your story, uh, I, I would just like to introduce you to our crowd as a regular guy, an ordinary guy. So we're going to do a little speed dating thing here, okay. all right? All right. <laughs> I'm going to throw out a bunch of categories, okay. and I'm going to ask you for your favorite in each category, and that way we're going to get... We're, we're going to jump right in the deep end, getting to know you. All right? So, gotcha. favorite sports team? Dallas Cowboys. Okay, let's do something else, Gene. <laughs> oh, we'll let you get by with that. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, butter pecan. All right, good. Yeah, free time activity? Uh, working out, lifting weights. Okay, musical artist or band? It used to be Chris Tomlin until I came here. Your worship team is incredible. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Your worship team. Your worship team. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. And we got four of those across four campuses that are, that are all, all just awesome. A favorite season of the year? Summer. So, you know, that's why we brought you up from the South to experience our fall. <laughs> that's why fall I moved to is. Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, golly. Uh, favorite ethnic food? Mexican. Mexican. Good. Favorite movie? Uh, Book of Eli. I was thinking maybe Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> second, second. <laughs> I'm glad we got the Escape from Alcatraz third. <laughs> Favorite zoo animal? Monkeys. Okay. Favorite phone app? Uh, oh, Instagram. Yeah. Favorite subject in school? PE. <laughs> Favorite store? Nordstrom's. Uh, drink at Starbucks. Uh, chai latte. Okay, you know that's a sugar bomb. I heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From you yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I try to tell you. A uh, favorite color? Uh, blue. Uh, favorite time of the day? Mornings. Morning person. Okay, favorite vacation spot? Any beach on the earth. Okay. <laughs> just, just a regular guy. 
Now, something traumatic happened to this regular guy at age 17. But before we get into that, I want to hear the background, the, the family life, the growing up years that led to that. Just give us a little bit of a description of your family growing up. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, born and raised in New Jersey, and uh, awesome family, mom and dad, and um, doing things together, birthdays, riding bikes and all that, lake house, and, and then my parents divorced when I was around six, and that kind of declined and, and uh, kind of led to some poverty. Uh, my my mom moved us to Pennsylvania for a while, and um, it was just some mother drank a lot, and it just stresses. And we, our, my family learned to deal with stress and happiness by drinking, celebrating, and it just became uh, entrenched alcoholism, entrenched in my family and all its destruction. But I went, you know, I went to school, and, and I was a good athlete. And uh, when I was uh, 15, 16, started really competing in sports. Um, loved sports uh, until I was about 17 years old. Um, I was a good athlete and everything, but I would go out and drink, and I would drink the same, same way my family learned. And then one day, I had a cousin come to visit the house from uh, New Jersey, and he wanted to go out drinking about midnight, and my parents said no. And uh, um, we went out anyway and now at the bar. Tell, us, tell so, us about that night. Okay, so it started out just going out to get some yeah. drinks, shoot some pool, yeah. and turned into a murder. How did that happen? But 20 minutes in shooting pool, having a good time. We had a stepbrother with us. He drove us there. And my cousin just turns to me and says, I, I want to rob this place. And it was sort of like, yeah, I heard him. And, but he was my favorite cousin. And I, I, I went along with it in a sense that, well, look, you're going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. We'll leave. And you come back and do it yourself. And when he went back in the bar. So, wait, wait, so you left. We left. We left. We got in the car. We left. We drove down the street. And we parked. And then my cousin got out and walked back up into the bar. He was going to go and rob the money and come back. He never did. He ended up murdering the owner while so he was he there. So he just went nuts. He went nuts. He, he stabbed the owner to death. And did you see this happen? I saw part of the end of it. When I walked in the bar looking for him, I, I yelled to him to stop. And he didn't. He just kind of went crazy. And then we waited and got some money and then took off. And I followed him to New York City uh, for a day or two. I knew I was in trouble. I knew so you, I was were, in trouble. you were on the run. I was on the run. I knew I was in trouble. My mom was on TV and said, Gene, come home, uh, radio, come home. And I turned myself in. Oh, my goodness. So, so you're taken into custody. Yes. You go to trial. Uh, what did you assume the verdict would be? Um, a 10 to 20, or uh, not, to, yeah, a 10 to 20, about a 10 year sentence was my attorney told me if I pled guilty. I would receive around 10 years. And so I'm thinking I'm 17, 20. And I, I you know, I, I never expected what happened. I'd, I'd never expected him to rob the place, but I, I knew I was there and I didn't say no. And so I, I, felt, I felt some kind of guilt. Some so, culpability. Yeah, I did. And so I pled guilty to a murder and I was hoping it would be around 10 years and I ended up getting a life without parole sentence. So what, what did you, when the judge announces, I mean, you're expecting to hear 10 years. Life. Yeah. And instead he says, for the rest of your natural life. For my life. natural life. What were you thinking at that time? Um, still th literally so ignorant of it. I thought I'd still be out in 10 years until I was transported to the state correctional institution. I met other men serving life without parole in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I realized that that wasn't the truth. And so I got on the phone. I called my attorney and said, hey, I... I I got the worst sentence there was. I didn't get what I, you, you informed me of. And, yeah. and for every reason, he, I hung up 10 minutes later. He didn't want to do any. He didn't want to appeal. He, didn't, he discouraged me. And I just hung up the phone. I said, well, I'll just do my time. 
and I started my sentence, and I said, there was, a, there was an access through the governor um, years later uh, that I, I, I would attempt to go through the governor for a pardon. Wow. Wow. So was your, did your lawyer mislead you, or he just wasn't Yeah, he wasn't informed. Below he was a, average he was, he was, Yeah, he was just a new attorney. He was a young guy. He, I was his first uh, murder case that he took on, um, and uh, yeah, he was just uninformed. So you go to juvenile. Uh, I started in juvenile uh, detention center okay. for nine months. And then they transfer you to prison, and you enter prison on your birthday, your yeah. 18th birthday. I was sentenced to life the day before, and the next day they transported me to State Correctional Institution in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I remember going in there, and it was scary. It was, it was intimidating, obviously. Yeah. And I went in, and I go through the medical. He do all the medical stuff. And, and uh, I, the lady asked me my date of birth, and I was like, 3 nine, 60. It wasn't a thing. And she looked up and said, happy birthday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. R rude birthday present. Yeah. yeah. So what were your first impressions of prison? <clears throat> uh, very intimidating. The, the bars, the chains, the tower guards, the inmates. I went from a small detention center with about 15 guys, kids, uh, younger than me, to 2,600. And they're yelling and screaming and they're intimidating, you know. And, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's scary. You put on a facade that... You know, nobody can mess with me, and, and you know. Tough guy, huh? Yeah, yeah. you just yeah. kind of, you yeah. don't want anybody to see that you're scared. Because you hear stories about prison. And some of them are true, some aren't. Some are accurate, some aren't. You know, from the movies, yeah. they, you know, the pr prisoner goes in and he's told right away, you gotta, gotta pick a fight, gotta win the fight. And that, that sort of sets some boundaries. Did, uh -huh. did yes. you start with a fight? Uh, pretty soon, about a month into it, uh, I had a guy blow some kisses at me across the kitchen and I looked and I was like he must be doing it I looked around you know and uh, surely not me and then it happened again and I was just like oh, I don't want no trouble you know and and then eventually he walked up to me and he said you're gorgeous and I punched him and then yeah. it, it started a big fight and we ended up in wow. solitary confinement yeah yeah but I didn't have any trouble afterwards because yeah. they knew I would fight wow well yeah. you're just not that gorgeous man I just gotta tell you <laughs> I'm, I'm saved, so I'm not going to hit anybody. <laughs> Thank did, you. Did, did, uh, did you rat the guy out? I mean, you, you no. must have ended up in trouble for being in a fight. I, yeah, they, they, they knew I hit him, and they, they kept asking me, what did he say to you, what did he do? Because they, they know the scenario. I'm, like, I'm a young white kid in there, and, and I couldn't even shave. You know, I couldn't even grow a mustache. And, and, and I said nothing. And they said, oh, you just hit people? I said, yeah. So I kind of kept my mouth shut, and they were, they were very upset. The security was very upset. Because they wanted you to. They wanted me to tell on them, and they wanted to transfer them, get them in trouble. And so I didn't. Well, I spent 30 days in a hole in solitary confinement for hitting him. And when I got out, they approached me again, and I thought, here we go again. And, and then they shook my hand, and they said, you're a cool white boy. You won't have no problems with us no more. Wow. So talk about between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. You either play up to the prison guards or you yeah. play up to the yeah. prisoners. Either way, it's a yeah. tough scenario. I said, hey, I have to live here. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not going to be, uh, you know, and have that type of trouble. Yeah. What, what, is, uh, what does a day in the life of a prisoner look like? You know, relatively, it's, it's really routine. Uh, you get up at 6 in the morning. They wake you up. They count you. Then they open up the doors for chow hall every unit there's seven eight units in the prison and one by one you go to eat and um, you return 
Uh, you go to work. If you have a job, you go to work. If you go to school, you go to school. And there's those routines. Same thing. You go back for lunch, um, supper, and then there's activities. There's yard out. Uh, there's, of course, in the prison yard, there's basketball, horseshoes, uh, weights, and, and uh, all the handball courts. And so there's activities, but there's, you know, there's programs. You have uh, psych groups. You have uh, stress and anger classes. You have drug and alcohol classes. And, and if you sign up for them, you attend those classes. But mainly, it's very routine. The only thing that interrupts the prison life, in my thinking, is the violence that goes on, the fights, the stabbings. So that's pretty regular. Um, it, it, yeah, there's always fights every day. There's fights every day, and you know the kind of institution stops, and you know something happened. You may not see it, but you know something happened. So a lot of people showing up for the anger management class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, what I found surprising in reading your book is that uh, in prison, you were doing drugs, you were selling drugs. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, we, we supposedly removed you out yeah. of that society yeah. where all that, you know, all that problematic stuff's going on, but it's going on in prison. How in the world do you get drugs in prison? Um, you start looking for them. You start uh, desiring them. You can find them. Um, it's less today because of security, but uh, I met a couple guys that they, they were already, they had drug business on the outside. They were doing time, and so their families were bringing it in, and and uh, they would bring it in through the visits. Uh, like how? How? I mean, they, they can't just pass you across the table some drugs. What? No, they would put it in balloons. They would uh, like take balloons and put the weed or the pills and the Valiums and the painkillers, whatever, the Coke, the meth, put it in balloons, tie them up, put them in, you know, and then swallow them and then bring them in and then either throw them up later or there's other ways of getting them out. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's a, that's, that's the main, main way and, you know, because they're not x-raying you or anything like that. So did you ever do the balloon thing? Yes. And then you went back to your, yep. your cell and you puked it up? Yep. Drank some soapy water and... Uh, did it... Hey, can I ask this? Because we're all wondering. Did, did you ever not throw it up? Did it have to, like... Yes. Yeah. You wanted to know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did, you know, I, I was a, it was a lifestyle. That's I, gross, it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and when, you know, when, you, when you're in an addiction or when you're getting high, yeah. it, there's no limits. you got to have it. it. It really is. Yeah. There's no limits. And, and in prison, the same way. And so that was about six years into my sentence when I got, um, I made some choices and I, I got caught up in that. I enjoyed it. I, I really did. And, and it was about... Uh, for about three years until about nine and a half years into my sentence. Wow. So God, let's take a right turn in this conversation. God began to pursue you. And it was really interesting. It started with a letter that got sent to the wrong person. So you were trying to write a letter to your brother. Yes. And you mailed it. Mailed and the it. letter ended up at somebody else's house. This is a good story. You oh. got to tell this. Yeah, it was early on in my sentence, and I had been messing with some weed and, and getting high, and I got busted. It was the only time I got busted, and, and they put me in a hole. And so I was in a hole. I, I was expecting a visit from my brother and his wife, and um, because I was in a hole, I wasn't going to get the visit. So I quickly wrote him a letter. I said, Mike, um, I'm, I got busted for weed. I'm in a hole. Don't come to visit this month. And I sent it out to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it went to a town in Illinois. It really did. It came out to a McGuire, Kathy McGuire, in living in here. And, I, and the way it was, I got a letter back, 
and it said, hey, uh, Gene, uh, my name is this, and my husband's a pastor at a, Baptist, <laughs> at a, at a church, and um, I you got this. You sent it to a pastor. <laughs> I, I, got this, I got this letter, and I was so curious. I opened it up. I apologized for it, and I read your situation, your scenario. I just wanted to know God loves you and cares about you, and here's a Bible track. And, and they started writing to me. Um, this is early on in my sentence, but, and I, I wrote them for about, about two, three months, kept in touch, but I've lost contact. I have no idea. You, you got to know that God's after you when you, something like that yes, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A letter gets misdirected and it happens to end up at the, the, the home of a pastor. Yeah, in another in, state. In another state. Wow. Any other instances where God kind of crossed your path with a Christ follower? Someone who, you know, was either a role model of right. what it means to have a relationship with God or... Be a, yeah, there was quite a few. Uh, I think people from the outside would write me, my high school friends. But there was a, 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 a inmate, Warner. I write him out in my book. We call him Big Moses. And uh, he was just like liquid love. But he was a real big black guy. And he just... So anyway, he, he was a Christian. When I got in, he had got saved before me. He had been doing some time. He was a lifer. And he would walk around the campus. He would walk around the, the prison. And he would sing songs. He knew like a hundred hymn songs. He would sing them out loud. And, and he would just smile and, and praise the Lord. Wake up, you guys. Wake up. And, 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 and he was just full of life. And I'm thinking, you got life. I got life. And you're smiling. I'm miserable. And uh, I remember he would come to my cell and talk to me. He would quote scripture and just share the mercy. His favorite thing was uh, God's mercies are new every morning, Gene. You know, great is his faithfulness. And he would go into a song, you know. And, and it was like, this guy's different, but he's doing the same amount of time and he's smiling. And so he was a real witness to me. He was the first, he was the first inmate I told when I got saved. I went to him. I said, Warner, I got saved. Yeah. 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 God, God did to me what he did to I you. Was, I accepted yeah. the Lord. Yeah. 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 Wow. Now, it's about this time that something dramatic happens to your mom too. Yeah. So your mom comes to visit, your mom right. who raised you in this alcoholic home yeah. and she's been addicted and she comes and you see a change in her life. Tell yeah. us about that. From, from she would visit and I, I really had a trouble. I always, what I got involved, I hated, you know, in her. And so she would come to visit. She was either on pain medication, drinking, stuttering, repeating herself, you know, and and, and I couldn't wait for her to leave. And then one day she came to visit, and it was a total different person. She was articulate. She was sitting up straight. Her eyes were clear. And she was telling me about the Lord. And I was looking at it. I was like, oh, my, who's this lady? Yeah, you know? what you do with my mom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, totally transformation. And she had uh, accepted the Lord as her Savior. And um, just totally, I saw the peace of God and transform. She was just a, a wonderful uh, friend. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. wow. Shortly after this, an outside organization uh, brought a program, a weekend program to yeah. the prison called Prison Invasion, That's which I, I think is a pretty cheeky name for, you know, <laughs> we're going to invade the prison, right? They want to so, come in. Yeah, yeah. I want to get out. They want to <laughs> yeah. come in. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're running this program. Tell us about the Prison Invasion program and what prompted you to check it out? Uh, a couple, I was sharing with some of the staff members um, that I, I knew for years, here and there, you get to know staff people, workers. And I told them I had an alcohol problem. I told them I had a drug problem. And they suggested uh, um, to go to this weekend program in the chapel. And they said, sign up. So I did. And I went over on a Friday night. And, but it, I went over Friday night because there was about 100 
uh, laymen from the outside community, a group of churches got together and they came in with worship Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, um, Sunday morning. And they, they came into prison and they were allowed to walk the, the corridors. They were allowed to walk the prison yard. They were allowed to come on the blocks and they would come cell to cell. And these guys are just in civilian clothing. They had the tether, you know, the volunteer. And they would just share Jesus, share part of the testimony. And then they would invite you over on uh, in the evening services where they had you know, teen challenges or they had worship like you guys have here. And then they had the gospel presentation. So I went over Friday night and it was exciting. I mean, uh, it wasn't church as I kind of knew and I never really went to church, but um, I went in and they were saying, hey, God loves you. We love you. We're glad you're here. And about 300 men in this chapel, uh, prison chapel. And it was exciting. And I heard that night. 300 guys. Are the guys there because they're genuinely interested or are they there because it's a way to get out of your cell for an evening or? Um, I think I was the guy with the get out the cell, <laughs> but uh, uh, most of them were, you know, there were a lot of them. Genuinely interested. There was 100 outside, 200 inmates and 100 outside, so it was 300. I mean, it was wall to wall, you know, it was yeah. people. Yeah. And, they, and I heard the, the, the preacher, he just, what I remember, he said, Jesus died for our sins and he rose again for us and in him there's eternal life and he says real men make commitments and when I heard that I knew he was talking to me and I felt like through all I was ducking behind people's heads because I felt like he was looking right at me you know and and uh, I, I know I never made a commitment to the Lord. And so this is the first night, Friday night? First night. So did you make a commitment to Christ? No, I, I went out the door and left, went back to my cell. But I, I, I had a sense of regret that I didn't. Like I you wish missed I something did. you, you I really done. did. I wish, and I went back Saturday night, same thing, the scenario, the music, the worship, just the loving, loving atmosphere. Yeah. And people were very accepting and, and they didn't know I was doing life. They didn't know I was caught in pornography, putting a needle in my arm, getting high, doing meth, all that stuff. They didn't know anything, but they really cared about me. And then I heard the gospel, Jesus died, he rose again, and in him there's eternal life. And he said, those were real men make commitments. And I was like, oh, man, you know. Well, at the end, it was a time of fellowship and mingling and people talking. And, and a guy comes up behind me and says, how are you doing tonight? And I said, good. And I turned around. He said, have you made a commitment? I was like, man, I can't get away from it. <laughs> I can't get away from this commitment. And he, and, he, and he introduces himself as Pastor Larry Titus. And he says, uh, uh, have you made a commitment? I said, no. He said, wait right here. He gives me his card. He said, call me if you need a Bible, if you need some shoes, you need, if you need anything. You need someone to talk to. He, and I said, well, are you a Christian? He says, yeah. I said, how long have you known Jesus? He said, since I was four years old. I said, since four. He said, yeah. And he says, I knew God called me to be a missionary at five. And it just blew me away that a five-year-old can understand God's will. And here I was 26 years old. I had nine, almost 10 years in the system doing life. And I, I was a big zero in the sense that I didn't know, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Now, this is amazing. And this is a, this is a lesson for those of us who've been Christ followers, uh, in some cases for years. Uh, you often think that you, know, you want to have one of those dramatic stories. You came to Christ at 25, 30 years of age. You were stealing cars, doing drugs, whatever. And, and maybe you've got a story where, no, I kind of grew up in a home where I heard about Jesus, you know, when I was a little kid and I surrendered my life to Christ at age five, six, seven. I don't have a story to tell. Here's a guy who's getting, he's in prison for life and he's being impacted by a guy telling him a story about finding Jesus at age five. Yeah. It's just, so any one of our stories has that Very potential powerful. impact. Yes. So this is Saturday night of the weekend? Saturday of the weekend. So did you surrender no. to Christ that night? Out the door I went again. Out the door, okay. 
Yes. And then, and then went back Sunday morning for the final service. Okay. Um, and I went in there. I sat the last pew. Uh, they wouldn't pews. I remember sitting at the last pew because the door was there. And if I got too hot, I was going back to my cell. <laughs> and, but I couldn't move. I, I, I heard the message again. Jesus died for me. And that, was, I think, really hit home. I, I believe he did. Yeah, I, I believe he did it. But did he do it for me? And that's where it kind of hit home. And, and I couldn't shake it. I knew he did it for me. I, I needed a savior. And uh, at that moment, some guys came over to me. They said, you look like you want to accept the Lord. You want to come up front. And I, and I really did. I wanted to, but I, I kind of felt frozen. And then finally, I, I was able to lean forward and get up out of my pew. We went up front. And, and we just got on our knees and prayed a simple prayer. I mean, really, Jesus come into my life. Set me free. I want to live for you. I believe that, you, you know, you died for me. And uh, forgive me for my sins. And I felt like chains broke off me. This weight really came off my life. And, wow. and they said, if you have a Bible, go back, read your Bible. So wow. Wow. that started. To... Did you see any change in your life? I mean, like those who are cynical among us, we might say, well, of course, you know, you, you were desperate. You're in prison for life. Yeah. Is this going to shake things up a little, you know, New, new, new broom sweeps clean for, for a little bit of time. Right. But did you see some genuine changes that you could look at and say, no, no, something genuine happened on the inside of me? Um, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I had this peace in my life and I felt patience. Uh, but also, I also felt this love for people that I didn't love before. Uh, whether being a bully or picking on people or being critical, being judgmental. I, I, that was gone. It really was. I really wanted to care about people. And then also being forgiven. I knew I was forgiven. And I knew I had odds with people around the institution. Especially when you get into the drug world. You, 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 make, you make odds and you make enemies. Yeah. So I, I went and I started apologizing cell to cell to people for the next two days. You're going jail to jail apologizing yeah, to people. Cell to cell. I would go and say, hey, Danny, I, I want to talk to you. I want to apologize. You know, I'm a jerk and I'm sorry. And, but when, when I humbled myself, God gave me grace to do it. And wow. it, was, it was tough. It was tough. Wow. But I, I went around and finally it was like checking off the list of the people that I hadn't talked to or I, had, yeah. I was mad at or offended. Yeah. Wow, that's a sure sign of being forgiven. Because you can't do that. You know, none of us can forgive somebody else from the heart right. until we've experienced the kind of forgiveness where we've come to God and recognized how much he's forgiven us right. because of our faith in Christ. You know, that's, that's when the, you really the, can turn around and do it to somebody yeah, else. It was the difference yeah, in my let life. let go. Now, Gene, around here, we have people surrendering to Christ all the time. Hardly a week goes by that someone doesn't cross that line and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. So here, what that means is, well, then people come back the next week and the week after, and they're learning the Bible, and they're getting in a small group, and they're studying it together, and they're serving opportunities. I mean, the church, this is what the church is all about. You don't have the church in prison. So you got a brand new relationship with God. Mm -hmm. How how did God cultivate that? I mean, there's no pastor in prison there with you. What did you do to begin to grow in your relationship with God? Um, first, stay in the Word. I got in the Word. I was, uh, they told me, stay in the Word, stay in the Word. So did you have a Bible? I had a Bible. Okay. I had a Bible. But there's other brothers, there's other Christians who knew, and they, they, they pulled me in. And we had Bible studies in the cell. We had Bible studies in the yard. Um, also, Larry Titus, who had uh, met me that night, um, I started writing him, and he started visiting. So whatever he t- he'd come in every Monday, and whatever he taught his church, 
on Sunday, he would come in and I would say, hey, can, give, me your, give me your notes, you yeah. know, and I would go back and look at the notes and read them and, and reteach them to the other inmates. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. So this guy, Larry, who's a pastor who had told you his story of coming to yeah. Christ at age five, he was a pastor of a church called Christ Community Church. Good guy. Good guy. <laughs> uh, so, so you were able to grow. You had yeah. all this stuff, Bible studies going on, prayer meetings and prayer meetings, things of yeah. that nature. Now, uh, your prison experienced a riot. Yeah. I, I, I remember this. I, it, made, it made national it's news. It's on YouTube. You can, uh, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a huge thing. I'm 2,600 inmates, and the riot gets cooking what were you doing during the riot what happened during the riot yeah when it kicked off I, I remember it was strange it was at nighttime we're, we're locked in the cell and my door opens and I, I, I look around and I, was, I shut the door and then next thing you know it opens again and when I looked out inmates were running up and down the corridor with clubs and masks on and, and, and hoods and they say we have hostages we have 11 hostages you know they're talking about fight the power and uh um, don't hurt one another, but fight the power. So I, I shut the door again. I just like, hey, you guys had that. And then next thing, it opened again. So the inmates controlling the doors. Uh, they had the institution. And so next thing you know, some of the Christian brothers came to my cell. And we had about nine guys standing in my cell. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, we need to pray. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really was. I said, let's just pray. And then we just hung together that, that whole night until the next morning. They literally burned the prison down. They, burned brick buildings down and destroyed the prison systematically from building to building. They just destroyed hundreds of inmates. So where, where did you guys, I mean, you had to have a place to live. So your, your residence just got burned to the ground. Most what, of the what? residence was um, destroyed, and so they started shipping inmates out into the federal system for temporary holding. And okay. I ended up going to Phoenix, a place in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, to a federal prison for holding. And I went out there for a year. Wow. Now, something good came of that. You, you got sent to Phoenix. Yeah. What's the good that comes of that for you? Um, just meeting, um, well, getting, getting to travel. <laughs> you know, even though it was on a plane with cuffs, I, I traveled. I'd never been on a plane before. But, I, you know, meeting other brothers, meeting other cultures, meeting other people, um, still doing ministry out there and witnessing and sharing and discipling. Uh, guys while I was out yes. there. Yeah. You know, this sounds kind of like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament yeah. where he's in prison, but he takes advantage of the fact that, you know, he's in prison. And yeah. so guards and fellow prisoners and whatever get to hear about Jesus mm -hmm. from him. Yeah, absolutely. So that happened to you. Yeah. And wow. you get to lead some people to the Lord and disciple people while you're out there. Wow. Yeah. Now, Gene, you started petitioning for an early release. Tell us what that process is like. It's a plea of mercy to the governor through the Board of Pardons, and um, you're, you're eligible. So I, when I was at 11 years in, um, I knew I was forgiven, and I knew God didn't owe me anything, but I just felt God uh, was doing something. Yeah. And so I had opportunity. I had a lot of support, too, from people on the outside. And I filed a petition asking the governor to reduce my sentence from life in prison to life on parole. And I got denied first time, 11. I got denied at 12. Um, and I, and again, I don't have nothing coming. God don't owe me. I owe a life of love, but I'm, I'm still trying. And so 11 years in, you get turned down 12 years yeah. in, you get turned down. And then at 17, 17 turned down. 
Um, I have the DA behind me. I have judges behind me. I have a deputy senior t- attorney general for Pennsylvania behind me. Everybody wants me out. Um, you know, literally hundreds of people and dozens of people, uh, professional, they were behind me. So you're, you're like a model citizen. Yeah. You're, you're doing, I mean, you're doing speaking at high schools and, and colleges. They would bring the high schools into the prison, uh, two high schools at a time. Right. And they would say, Gene, we want you to share life in prison. And, and I said, can I share my testimony? And they said, yeah. And so, and the same with Penn State, you know, they, um, and at 24, I got denied. And then at 30 uh, years in, 32 and a half years, I got denied again. So five times, five times, this, this model prisoner gets turned and he's got all this backing behind him. Yes. All these people. Um, I, I got to tell you, as I was reading your book and, and by the way, this is a, this is a really great read and uh, we'll have copies of it available. You could purchase a copy at any one of the bookshops at our four campuses, but, um, you know, I expected when I read your book, it was going to be one of those basic stories of this guy's in prison and he comes to Christ and it's kind of foundational Christianity 101 stuff. But this getting turned down five times, this is like Christianity 801 and 901. Like, why is God doing this to me? Yeah. And I found myself identifying. And, and yeah. to be honest with you, you know, I'm a wuss when it comes to, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a crybaby. When yeah. God doesn't do things my way, you know, why are you letting this happen to me? And then I'm reading about this guy who's turned down five times to get out of prison. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it broke my heart. So w- was there any lesson you're learning? I, how, did you, how did you handle that rejection? Um, I, I learned to be a servant. Jesus was a servant. He denied himself. And, I, and I, when I looked at Jesus' life, I, I said, I want to pattern my life after Jesus. Uh, Apostle Paul, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, I would literally sit at their feet as I read the word and learn from them. How did they handle the hard situation? How did Jesus? He never opened his mouth when he was spit on. And he said he never opened his mouth. And I'm like, I'm ready to open my mouth, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and really? so being a servant, uh, you have no rights and you have no entitlements. And so that's the way I lived. Uh, and I tried to do it today. Uh, wow. So it, we're used to claiming our rights. Yeah. And it releases yes. you from anger. It releases you from the protection from bitterness. Bitterness will never happen if you're not angry. And if you're a servant serving other people, you'll never, you'll, you will not get angry. You won't stay angry. Wow. And so. Wow. What a great lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So God's in control. God's in control. Uh, He's even, sovereign over my life. And I'm living a purpose of Christ in the prison. I'm doing his will. And I, you know, it changed my mind. Oh God, I got to get out. I got to go home. I got to do your will when I get out. God's will is today, right now. And I realize I can do God's will right there in the prison. Yeah. Whoever is around you. Yeah. Very, very, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Really. So you're having an opportunity to mentor other guys. Again, what does that look like in a prison context? Um, yeah, you, uh, if you, people are getting saved, they are, they're, 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 they're accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and they're being changed. And, um, if I knew a young guy, I'd say, Hey, come follow me, yeah. you know, like come follow me as I follow Christ, grab my belt loop and follow me around. Whatever I do, you do. And where I go, you go. And we would just hang out together and we'd get in the word. We'd pray together. Um, but we'd play basketball, we'd lift weights. And, you know, even in those scenarios where you can mentor guys, you're doing something that everybody does every day and you're not losing your temper, you're not cursing, you're not, you know, blowing up, you're not punch, punching people. And they see that and they say, yeah, I can do that too. 
Wow. So it's a mentoring process. You need people to hang around you. And just like I did, I hung around other guys that were stronger than me and to a point where I was able to let guys come follow me and hang out with me wow. and just mentor and invest them. If they need things, you know, uh, material items too, you know, if they need a cup of coffee, give them a cup of coffee. If they need some sneakers, we'd get them sneakers. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting to see you doing that in a, in a prison because mm-hmm. that's what we're all about at Christ yeah. Community Church. We're about getting people in groups, getting them growing, yes. getting them serving, you know, caring for the needs of the poor. It's, I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. You guys just did it with a very captive audience. Yeah. So, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. But, you uh, can't you know, get away from me. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So after petitioning five times, yeah. uh, you know, for your, your case to be heard, um, it finally, the appeal was, it, it went through. I mean, it, explain that whole process. Well, my fifth, yeah, my fifth time I was denied, and I remember going back to my cell, and one of the things I had cultivated was an attitude of gratefulness. And so I literally got on my knees in my cell, and I, I thanked the Lord for the denial. I really did, as I did in the past. And because I knew he was sovereign, I knew something, there was something going on. Uh, even eternity. So uh, when, I, when I, I just lost it, I cried. I, you know, I said, God, oh, man, I'm going to die in this place. But I started saying thank you to the Lord. And as I was thanking the Lord, he just said, um, I'm going to release you. I heard it in my heart. I heard this, I heard this phrase, I'm going to release you, in, in my heart. And it wasn't audible, but it was there. And I was like, almost oh, sudden, this, my tears dried up. This peace came over me. And I remember standing up. And I said, what do I do now? He said, go back to serving, go back to work. Well, two months later, I, I was found myself back into the court. I explained it in the book a lot better, but I found myself back into the same courtroom where I was sentenced as a 17-year-old. I was at the same, um, uh, different judge, obviously, uh, but I was in the same courtroom, and the judge started saying, hey, you, you were sentenced illegally, you were sentenced unconstitutionally, and your attorney basically lied to you, and they, they ended up releasing me from the, um, the courthouse. Uh, oh, it took a 20-month period in there, and I write about it, but I was there, and, and the judge uh, released me. Wow. I got to tell you, I, I was, you know, it took me several days to, to read your book, but I finished it at about midnight one night, because as I'm coming to the end, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. I just, you know, I had to get this guy out of prison. You know, I couldn't, like, good night, get him out, Lord. And uh, so I am not ashamed to say that my eyes filled up with tears when I read about that release. I just, you know, after five rejections, um, there was something pretty awesome about Mm -hmm. that. What was it like for you when you heard the words of the judge, did you like disbelieve? I, I just you? cried like a baby. And I remember I was shackled and chained at the defendant's table. And, and my attorney was patting me on my back. And I looked up, I said, thank you, judge. Thank you. And he cleared the court. He cleared the court. And, and then they came and then it got real quiet. And someone yells, unshackle him, release him from his chains. He's a free man. And then the sheriffs come over and unshackle him. My sister was climbing over benches to get to me. And they said, hold on, Mary, hold on. She goes, no, I waited 35 years for him. I'm not waiting. And it was just surreal. They uncuffed me. And and I was just, people were taking pictures, reporters. And it was just unbelievable, you know. And then someone handed me some clothes. And they said, Gene, go change. Mary, take your brother home. And that was really strange to hear that. I was doing life without parole. And now I'm like, Gene, Mary, take your brother home. And I was like... I couldn't even comprehend what that, how do we, how we get home, you know, and, uh, things different on the outside. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, they, when, so I, we, I changed and I come out and um, um, they hand me a cell phone. They said, hey, uh, someone's phone from California wants to talk to you. So I, I, I look at the, I never saw a cell phone. I never used one. So I look at it, it was this black piece of glass and, and I'm looking for the dial in the, in the, in the you know. <laughs> See, there's some people in here as old as us. So, so, so I was like, and I was like, what, he said, put it to your ear. So I put it to my ear. And I'm like, literally, I can't hear anything. And the, the lady came over and she turned it upside down. That <laughs> was like, welcome to the 21st century, you know. And it was, it was like that with many things uh, from yeah. walking in to starting a bank account. And they're yeah. like, so, yeah. you know, where are you, you know, you don't have a bank account? You're 52 years old. I'm like, no. And they said, like, where were you? I said, well, I was in prison. <laughs> so Roger Staubach's no longer quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Jimmy Carter's not the president. You know. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. It was so much, so much, everything was new for me. Any lingering bitterness toward the whole justice system? I mean, to hear the judge say you were, you know, your lawyer blew it. Yeah. This was unconstitutional. This, a, did, did, you, did you find it hard to let go of resentment toward? Yeah, I, I, you know, back to what I was saying, um, a relationship with Christ. I knew I was forgiven. I knew I needed to forgive others. And I don't think anybody was out to get me. So I never had that, you know, experience. But I, I, there is regret, and regret is part of being angry. And um, I dealt with the anger issues. So has avoided any bitterness. Yeah. And, and it wasn't always easy to deal with the anger issues, but I, I stayed and I looked up the Bible. I, I got in my Bible, my coordinates, and I looked up ish, scriptures on anger, and I would just study them scriptures, you know, and like Matthew 18 and that, the parable in Aaron. It's, a, it's just, I just wanted victory over those issues in my life, yeah. whether it was lust, whether it was anger, whether it was whatever. Yeah. How, how, about, how about bitterness toward God? I mean, say, really, God, 35 years? Like, you couldn't have done this in shorter time? No, I, you know, because I was in the Word, I, I really had this revelation of God's sovereign. And I knew I had eternity in my heart. I knew if this is a short period of time on earth, and I knew I'd, I had eternity. So, my, my, really, my thing was, not that I wasn't disappointed. I, that, that, sure. that I yeah. was. Yeah. I was like, mm, I had a lot of friends, a lot of family. But I was like, okay, God, what are you up to? <laughs> you got to be up to something because you're saying that my freedom, you have something better than my freedom in society. I'm, I'm in. And that's what it was. I said, God, I'm in. Your will is more important than mine. So that's what it takes. It takes believing that this God, who's not only sovereign, but he's good. He's good. He's good. Always that, that, good. That and loving. Where I'm at is even better than some other place I'd rather yeah. be. Yep. Wow. Wow. And, and you, you, you learn that as you, as you read the stories in the Bible. Now, Gene, I I want to wrap things up. I want to wrap this conversation up. And I want you to bring it home to our listeners. Um, Because while, as I said at the beginning, none of us, I don't think, have spent 35 years in prison, Mm -hmm. prison comes in all shapes and sizes. So while we might not be literally behind bars, we've experienced the prison. Some of us are in a health prison right now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some chronic illness in our lives, some pain that we're experiencing. There are some people listening right now who, uh, who are in the prison of a bad marriage mm-hmm. or in the prison of their own loneliness, you know, at school. They just, they haven't a friend and feel like they're literally behind bars relationally. 
or, or, or you know, maybe emotionally yes. as well. We're struggling with some depression. We're struggling with suicidal thoughts. There are all sorts of prisons oh, we can yeah. find ourselves in. So what's your counsel for the person who finds themselves in a prison today? What should they do? Um, they believe that God loves us. God's for us. God has done everything he possibly can to bring us into relationship. He cares about our situations. He cares about what we're, where we're at and what we're doing and who's hurt us and who's done us wrong. And if you're, if you're mad, he cares about that. Um, and, and, and just turn to him and say, uh, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. Lord, uh, someone did this to me. If you, if you open your mouth and you just say, um, tell, tell God, say, this is my scenario. I believe, I really do believe that he will meet you in that spot. Um, but knowing that he cares about you, He's not angry at you, and he cares, and he has a plan. He loves you. Uh, you know, as, as we draw things to a close today, I want to make an appeal to you. Uh, Gene got freedom long before he was released from prison. Did you, you hear that in his story? I mean, the day that he put his faith in Christ and surrendered to Christ, he was free. He was a free man. Uh, and the, the, the worst prison of all to be stuck in is the prison of our own sin and moral failure. And the Bible says all have sinned, Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all stuck in that prison. And what's worse, a few chapters later in the book of Romans, Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. Okay, the payment for our sin is death. And if that sounds severe, you know, I, I often explain it, Gene, to, to folks around here this way. Uh, we've been going our own way instead of God's way. Every one of us, we go our way instead of God's way multiple times in the course of a day. Okay. Now, what happens when you disconnect from God in that way? God's the giver of life. He's the source of life. When you disconnect from God, you unplug from God, you die. That's what the Bible says. And the death begins in here. It's a spiritual death. You, you, you experience separation, alienation from God. You don't have the close relationship with your creator that he wants to have with you. And, and then that leads to physical death at the end of this life. Yes. And if this problem of separation from God doesn't get fixed, you go into eternity spiritually dead. It becomes eternal death. That's what the Bible teaches. But God loves us so much. He didn't want us to stay dead. He sent us his son. And Jesus' death on the cross, a lot of people don't get this. Like, did Jesus die as a martyr for a great cause? Did he die because, you know, he had wicked enemies who put him to death? Now, the Bible teaches Jesus died because that's exactly what he came to earth to do. Yes. He came to give his life in payment for our sins. So the penalty is death. Jesus said, I'll take their death. I'll take their death. And because he's the eternal son of God, his death is worth payment for anybody's sin who surrenders their life to him. So if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the payment is there waiting for you. Okay? Jesus wants to forgive your sins. And for those who surrender to him, that's what happens. And a new life begins. Yeah. And the new life stretches on into eternity. He promises not only forgiveness... He says, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So you get forgiveness, you get new life. This new life goes on into eternity, an eternal relationship with God, but it starts the day you surrender to Christ. Your new life started that day at prison invasion when yes. you went to the front and you bowed your knee mm -hmm. and you said, I want Christ. Yes. So here's what I'd like to do. 
as we close, I want to pray the same kind of prayer with you that Gene prayed 10 years into his prison sentence, the day that Christ set him free. He prayed a prayer similar to the the sort of prayer I'd like to pray with you right now. So I'm going to ask you across our four campuses, and if you're watching online, would you just bow your head with me right now? And let let me tell you what the prayer is. The the prayer is kind of a three-word prayer. It's sorry, thanks, and please. Sorry, thanks, and please. So if you're bowed in God's presence right now, the first thing you say to him, if you've never done this before, is sorry. God, I'm so sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry that up to this point in my life, I have deliberately chosen to go my way instead of your way countless times every day. I've ignored your word. I haven't really been interested in hearing what you have to say. Can you apologize to God and mean it? Can you say sorry from your heart and say, I don't want to continue living this way? And then the second word is thanks. You know, Gene said a few moments ago, he said, I knew that Jesus had died on the cross. What I didn't know is that he died for me. And maybe as you heard him say that, it dawned on you, oh my goodness, he died for me, for me too. So if you're, you're just waking up to that realization today, Would you just say thank you? Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven and coming to earth. Thank you for becoming one of us so that you could take the penalty I deserve. You got to say it from your heart. Okay, God knows whether you're you're praying this prayer sincerely or not. But if if you're you're genuinely repentant and want a, a relationship with God, then say thank you. Thanks for sending me Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me. So, sorry thanks. There's one last word. Say it to God from your heart. Please, please come into my life. Please bring about a turnabout. Please become my savior. Please become my king. I I need a new ruler in my life. I've been sitting on the throne of my life long enough. I don't want to continue to reign. I want you to reign. I want you to be my leader. I want to know what it means to follow you. I want, to, I want to dig into your word, into your book, into the Bible, and find direction for my life. Please, please, can you say that from your heart right now? Now, before I say amen to this prayer, we're, we're all bowed before God. This is, a, this is a solemn moment. If you've never done something like this before, but you've just prayed that prayer, you've just prayed from your heart for the first time that you can remember, sorry, thanks please. I'm going to ask you before I say amen to do something physical to underscore the decision internally that you've just made. Remember in Gene's situation, he went to the front of that chapel at the prison and knelt and said, okay, I want to surrender to Christ. There's something about doing something physical to remind you 24 hours from now that you made that internal spiritual decision. So here's what I want you to do. If you surrendered your life to Christ In that prayer that we just prayed, I want you to stand up for one second and then sit back down. So across our four campuses, yep, see you stand up, good, who else? Stand up and sit back down, right, in DeKalb, Blackberry Creek, okay, Aurora, up in Streamwood, here in St. Charles, I see people standing up, keep going, anybody else? 
Like Gene, you know what it, it feels like to have your legs not support you. But stand up. Just stand up and sit back down. Say, up in the balcony here in St. Charles, on the main floor, yep, just stand up, sit back down. I, I surrendered to Christ in that prayer. I meant it from my heart. God, we just thank you that you give us new life. You follow through on your promises. That no matter the prison we feel ourselves stuck in today, the biggest prison of all being the, the prison of our own sin and ultimate death, you give liberation. You set us free. And all you're waiting for is to hear us say, I surrender. We pray this from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.